You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at portions of Acts chapter 4 and a portion of 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to be talking about the idea of recapturing the heart and mindset of the early church. But before we do, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, we just want to invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. On our website, you'll find our blog and our online Bible studies. You'll find our bookstore and devotional resources. You'll also find a link to be on our weekly newsletter list. And what we do is on Tuesdays, we send out a quick word of encouragement and links to anything new that may have been posted on the website. So if we have a new resource, if there's a new blog post, if there are new podcast episodes, we put links to those in the newsletter that we send out on Tuesdays, and we'll be happy to send that along to you. So go to desirejesus.com, click on the newsletter link, and sign up. And if you ever get sick of receiving it, which I hope you don't, but (laughs) if you ever do, uh, it's very easy to unsubscribe as well. And we don't pester you. We won't spam you. We hope it's actually something useful and encouraging. Also, I want to just thank you if you've taken the time to leave a rating or a review for our podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for doing that through whatever podcast app you use. I do tend to see the ones that are left through Apple Podcasts, but sometimes I come across reviews from other podcast apps as well. And thank you for doing that for a variety of reasons. Obviously, it's edifying to me and encouraging to me, but another practical reason why it's good to leave a rating or a review for podcasts that you enjoy is that those are the podcasts that in whatever podcast player you're leaving that review with or whatever podcast host or system, those are the podcasts that get promoted. They get bumped up in the algorithm of whatever uh, podcast system or company you're listening through. So when you leave a rating or review for the informal Bible study or our other podcast, the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, you're actually helping us connect with more people, and it's extremely helpful, and it really does trigger the algorithm, uh, particularly of Apple Podcasts, but also others, and they end up promoting the podcast to other people. So thank you again to those of you who have taken the time to leave a rating or a review, and if you're a regular listener of this podcast or our sister podcast, we would be very grateful if you took the time this week to leave a rating or a review. So thanks again for those of you that have already done that. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're talking about this idea of recapturing the heart and the mindset of the early church. And that's something that is valuable for us as believers living in this day to consider, because when you look back at what life was like for the early church, we see that they were living in a time that obviously it was quite challenging for believers to express their faith in Christ. It was challenging for them to go about their day-to-day lives. They dealt with a lot of persecution and a lot of difficulty, but yet there was also a lot of unity and camaraderie within the early church. And that's something that we as believers today would do well to capture or to remember or to put into practice. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 32 and then read down to verse 37, and then I'm going to jump over to 1 John chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verse 11 down to verse 18 of 1 John 3. 
So let's read this together. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, this is what it states. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And as we jump to 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, it says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today. And as we look at these portions of Scripture that speak about life in the early church and the kind of culture that you were trying to cultivate among the believers, we pray, Lord, that we would learn from these examples and that we would put into practice the very things that you inspired the early church to put into practice. So, Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at this content now, and we pray that you'd speak to our minds and our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the joys of being a follower of Christ is the privilege that he grants you to likewise be part of his family, the church. In Christ, all believers are united to him as the head of the church, and we're united to one another as the body. We were created by the Lord to operate in community, and we have the privilege to be a vital and beneficial part of one another's lives. But living in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ isn't always an easy thing to do. Sometimes our preferences or selfish tendencies can get in the way. Sometimes as the result of an offense, it can be easy to pull away from others while you brood over what has you upset. Other times, it can be easy to lose sight of what's really important in this world, and as a result, we invest our time elsewhere instead of investing it in Christ's people or allowing them to make investments in us. Thankfully, we have multiple examples from Scripture that show us a glimpse of the attitude Christ wants us to foster among one another. 
And as we look at some of these examples today, we can learn more about what it would mean for us to recapture the heart and the mindset of the early church. And one of the things that I believe we're encouraged to do when we look at Acts chapter 4 in particular is to let unity foster our generosity. Let me reread a few of the verses, starting with verse 32. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And jumping down to verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Each year, right around this time, I attend a conference in Maryland for pastors and other church leaders. And so for much of last week, that's where I was. So it was nice to return home to my family when everything was finished, because I missed them, and I was happy to discover that they missed me too. And one confirmation of that happened within the first hour of me returning home. My son had purchased a bag of spicy, sweet, chili Doritos for himself. I don't know if you've ever had those before, but they're very good. He bought them for himself, but instead of eating it, He gave it to me as a gift, since I enjoy them too, and it was generous of him, and I definitely appreciated it. I I thoroughly enjoyed every chip. And when we look at what this scripture tells us about the early church, we see a high amount of generosity among them as well. These believers were, in many respects, living like outcasts in their society. There was a high degree of pressure on them to reject Christ and to reconform to societal norms, but they didn't do that. Instead, they grew closer. The Lord fostered genuine unity among them, and in correlation with that sense of unity, they joyfully expressed generosity toward one another. Consider some of the results of this generosity. We're told that within the church there were no needy people anymore because, in response to the generosity of Christ, the church began treating everything they owned as something that ultimately belonged to the Lord anyway. So when needs were present among their brothers and sisters in Christ, they went out of their way to meet those needs. Some even went as far as liquidating their real estate by selling their homes or land in order to bless others with the proceeds. This is a beautiful reality to consider. This wasn't a form of communism or socialism, like sometimes I've heard people suggest. This wasn't a state-mandated activity. It was the fruit of changed hearts. When a person gains a deeper understanding of who Christ is and what he has done on our behalf, this becomes the outpouring of a life that recognizes Jesus as Lord. This is the manner in which a true family learns to care for one another. Their unity fostered Christ-centered generosity. The Scripture goes on to tell us something else about the early church and what life was like if you were part of it. They testified to the power of Christ's resurrection. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 33 with me. It says this, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. 
Over the past few weeks, I've had several conversations with law enforcement officials in an effort to help them bring resolution to a crime that they're seeking to solve. Uh, I have given them eyewitness testimony both in person and over the phone, and if it will be helpful to them, I'm also willing to testify when the criminal that they're prosecuting is brought to trial. Accurate testimony can be a powerful tool in the hands of our justice system. Now, I didn't realize that I would be in a position to give this kind of testimony, but some of the events that I've experienced recently put me in a position to be able to do this, so I've been happy to help out our law enforcement, and I hope that they're able to bring resolution to the crime that they're seeking to prosecute. Accurate testimony can also be a powerful tool in regard to spiritual matters as well. During the days of the early church, one of the key ways the Lord was using the leaders he had raised up was to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. The apostles and many others were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. And as they testified to the historical fact that Christ rose from the grave, I'm sure they also testified to the powerful significance of his resurrection for all who believe. Do we realize what Christ accomplished for us when he rose from death? He proved he was God. He defeated sin's stranglehold on us. He defeated Satan's control of our lives. He defeated death's power over us. And he assured us that we too will rise again with new, incorruptible bodies that can't experience pain, disease, or death new bodies that are fit for an eternity in his perfect presence. I like what we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2. It says this, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We are longing to put on that heavenly dwelling. We are longing for these new bodies that the Lord has promised us, that he will be giving to us that are fit for an eternity in his presence. How openly do we rejoice over this truth? Do our words and our lives regularly testify to the power and the effect of Christ's resurrection? Well, that was testimony that was given regularly and powerfully during the days of the early church. Something else this scripture points out to us in Acts chapter 4 is that members of the early church were known for their intentional encouragement. Look at what we're told in Acts 4, verses 36 and 37. It says this, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The other day, I received a call from a friend who is dealing with some difficult things right now. He has graciously volunteered to lead an organization, but the task he's taken on has produced more stress and more conflict and more exhaustion than he anticipated when he signed up to do it. Four years ago, he sent me a note with a quote from a ministry leader in Africa, and the note encouraged me at the time. I just came across it again, in fact, and knowing what my friend is dealing with, I sent him the same note a few days ago to return the favor and hopefully encourage him in his season of difficulty. Imagine being a Christian during the era of the early church. The culture didn't share their values. 
Christians were often arrested and killed simply for trusting in Christ and making his gospel known. And in the midst of that context, the Lord raised up people with the gift of encouraging others. One such man was a man named Joseph, who was called Barnabas as a nickname, which actually means son of encouragement. He was apparently so well known as an encourager that it became the primary title people made use of when referencing or addressing him. They stopped calling him Joseph, apparently, and began calling him Barnabas. What do you suppose the Lord wants us to learn from the example of Barnabas' life? It's clear when you look throughout the book of Acts that Barnabas was passionate about helping others come to know Christ in a personal and meaningful way. He traveled to do so. He partnered with other ministry leaders to do so. He encouraged his family to do so as well. In fact, he was cousins with Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. But what do you suppose life would be like among believers if we all became known as intentional encouragers? Is there someone the Lord wants to encourage through your words, but as of yet, you've been holding those words in? How might the Lord be seeking to bless someone else or prod them on in a healthy direction through the encouragement you lavishly bless them with? It's something to consider. Now, there's something else we see about the culture and the life and the mindset of the early church when we take a look at 1 John chapter 3. And when you look at verses 11 to 15 of that portion of Scripture, it shows us that the early church was being taught to show their church family sacrificial love. Let me read those verses for us. 1 John 3, starting with verse 11, says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The major reasons the hearts and minds of the early church were cultivating a culture of love within the body of Christ was because Christ had changed their hearts and given them new minds. In addition to that, however, it was also clear that the apostles were going out of their way to emphasize that this was the way in which believers were to treat one another. As Christ had shown us the ultimate example of sacrificial love in his death on the cross, so too should we as believers follow his example by showing sacrificial love to one another. The Apostle John was particularly known for emphasizing this. When you look at the five books of the New Testament that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, you can see a repeated emphasis on the necessity of the church showing love to one another. In 1 John 3.14 that we just read a few moments ago, John states that displaying sacrificial love toward one another is evidence that we have truly passed from death to life. What he's saying is that if you're looking for proof that you've actually experienced the blessing of salvation, showing sacrificial love to your Christian family is tangible proof that Christ has indeed saved you. It's the fruit of a changed heart. It's the fruit of gaining a genuine appreciation 
for Christ. And there's one other thing that John stresses in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, that I want to point out to us today, and that's this, that as we love, we need to love in deed and truth. This is how he phrases it. It says in verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So one last thing I want to point out are John's words in 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18, because in that passage, as John was doing what he could to cultivate a culture of love among the early church, he stressed that love is more than words. We can tell others that we love them and let those words merely hang in the air, or we can follow through with our deeds and show it to be real. Jesus told us that he loved us, but we're convinced he meant it because he laid down his life for us. A friend of ours gave my wife a beautiful leather bag this week. It's very sharp. It looks fantastic. And I'm sure it would be rather expensive to buy, but he blessed her with it for free. To me, now this is an untrained eye here saying this, but to me it looks like it's from a boutique. But it was actually made in a prison from donated and reclaimed materials. And there's a story behind that bag that's worth telling. Several years ago, my friend was looking for a way to effectively convey the love of Christ to those who were in prison. He reupholsters furniture and creates other household items from reclaimed materials, and he wondered if his local prison would allow him to come and to teach uh, those who were incarcerated how to do it too so that they would know a skill that could earn them an income when their sentences were up. And he was granted permission to do this, and he's been doing this now for several years. When the men he teaches ask him why he's volunteering his time to do this, he takes the time to point them to Jesus, who loved us in deed and truth, precisely when we felt like we were completely unlovable. As Christ's family, we're being called to love one another in deed and truth, and to likewise take the overflow of that love and share it with everyone Christ brings into our path. There are many things in this world that try to grab our attention, and many things that seek to compete for our affections. But as we look at these passages, let's be reminded and encouraged to recapture the heart and mindset of the early church. May our unity foster generosity. Our testimony point to the power of Christ's resurrection. Our words be encouraging. Our love be sacrificial. And may our deeds be used to confirm that it's genuine, just as Christ's love for us certainly is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're grateful to you because you have shown us genuine, sincere, sacrificial love. And Lord, because you have done this for us, we are convinced that we are loved by you. We're granted the privilege to walk with you. We're granted the privilege to be called your family, whereas at one point we were living as your enemies. 
Lord, you call us to love one another. You call us to be people who are united to one another because we're united with you. You call us to be generous toward one another and to meet one another's needs for your glory. So, Lord, we pray that we would do these things. We're grateful for the example that the early church gave us, and we're grateful, Lord, for the ultimate example that you gave them and us. And, Lord, we know that you empower us to do the things that you call us to do. So as we show your sacrificial love to one another, we pray that we would rely on your strength, that we would rely on your wisdom, that we would rely on your power, and that by your grace that others would be edified and you would be glorified. Thank you, Lord, again for these reminders from your word, and we commit ourselves to you today and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we always invite you to stop by our website. We have a lot of things on the website, desirejesus.com, that are geared toward helping you in your walk with Christ. And they don't do any good if they just sit there and no one uses them. So we hope that you'll stop by the website. Let us know you stop by. Sign up for the newsletter. Make use of the resources that we have available, and we hope that it will ultimately be a blessing to you in your walk with Christ. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, You can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.